so hey, this is the last day, the last week of God in Film. This is a series that we do uh, every year. I actually, I used to always do it in the summer, in August, and I decided to try something new, and so we did it, uh, we started it the week after Easter. And so what we're going to do today is we are going to look at some scenes from this movie called The Farewell. Just curious, how many of you saw that, have seen The Farewell? My guess is not a lot of you, some of you. It was, you know, an independent movie, beautiful movie. I actually would wholeheartedly encourage that you, that you watch it. I think, I think you can find it on Amazon Prime. I believe that's where it is. Uh, but it's really a beautiful movie. It's an it's it's autobiographical story. Uh, it was written and directed by a woman named Lulu Wang. And, and in, in, this, in this story, there's a, there's a Chinese-American young woman named Billy. And so she lives in New York City. She's an aspiring writer, and, and her family, it looks like they live in Queens, so I don't think they specify, but it looks like a Queens neighborhood. And, uh, and so they immigrated to the United States from Changchun, China. I don't know if I said that right. I said the China part right. I don't know if I said the Changchun part right. But, uh, but they immigrated when she was a child. And, uh, and so she's, you know, from the time she was little, she's grown up in the States. And, um, and she has a grandmother who lives in China. Uh, she he calls her grandmother her Nene, uh, which is just a, a wonderful name for a grandmother, a Nene. And, uh, and she loves her grandmother. She has such a special relationship with her grandmother. I'll show you some scenes that really kind of capture that. But what happens in this story, and again, this is, a, this is based on a true story. This is what happened to uh, the director's, you know, grandmother and family. Uh, she was diagnosed, her nene was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer and was said she's only gonna, she only has a few months to live. Now, now apparently it's a thing uh, in China, in, and you'll see in this first clip that I'm going to show you, the, uh, Billy's mother says, you know, in China we say, you know, it's not the cancer that kills you, it's the fear. And so what they do is they don't tell uh, Billy's nene that she has cancer. And so they, they keep this from her. And, uh, and so they come up with a reason for the whole family, because their family spread out, you know, uh, Billy's family immigrated to the United States, and um, uh, uh, another part of the family immigrated to Japan. They're all spread out. They haven't been together. They come up with a reason to get together to see the, the grandmother, the, the, the matriarch of the family, one last time. It's kind of funny. So, so Billy's cousin uh, is, is this guy who's been dating this Japanese, this girl for like three months. And so they decide, you're going to get married. You know, even though you've only been dating for three months, you're going to get married. And that's going to be the excuse for us all to get together. And, uh, and so this first scene that I'm going to show you is, uh, is where, where Billy uh, finds out from her, from her mother and her father what is going on in, uh, with, her, with her nene. So let's watch this first scene. What's wrong, Dad? Nothing. Your mom got in a fight? You're drinking? Please tell me what's going on. You're scaring me. Something's going on. Just tell me what's going on. Your nan is dying. She has a stage four lung cancer. The doctor says she has a three months. Could be faster, you never know. I need to call her. You can't do that. I need to go see her. You can't do that. She doesn't know. The family thinks it's better not to tell her, so you can't say anything. I don't understand. She doesn't have a lot of time left. She should know, right? There's nothing they can do. So everyone decided it's better not to tell her. Why is that better? Chinese people have saying, when people get cancer, they die. It's not the cancer that kills them. It's the fear. OK, when were you guys going to tell me this? How could you let me find out like this? How should I have told you? Oh, your grandma's on the roof? 
What about the wedding? Wedding is an excuse so everyone can go see her. We leave first thing in the morning. I need to go. Billy. I need to go. Everyone thinks better if you don't. Look at you. You can't hide your emotions. If you go, then we'll find out right away. All right. Um, now, this, this movie, it's a, and like I said, it's a beautiful movie. I, I actually probably could have gone in like three different God and film directions for this movie uh, because it's a, it's a beautiful movie about relationships, especially uh, female relationships within a family because, you know, the relationship that Billy has with her nene is just a beautiful, supportive, wonderful relationship. The relationship she has with her mother is a little difficult. It's a little, you can even see a little bit of it in that scene. I'll show you another scene that kind of captures it. So we could have talked about that. Uh, it's actually a beautiful, wonderful movie that really illuminates uh, the immigration story, you know, and shows it from both sides. Those who immigrate away from their home country and those who are left behind in the home country and, and what that's like. But, but what I want to talk about is the reality of death. Now, you may say, wait a minute, Phil, it's Mother's Day. <laughs> what are you... What are you doing? What are you doing? This reminds me of years and years ago. We had Mother's Day, and I was doing a series on, um, on, on sexuality in the Bible, and it was like basically like a sermon, like a sex talk on Mother's Day. And I was like, I didn't plan that great. But, uh, but actually, I want you to stay with me, actually, because I think I can make this work. Because here's the deal. So, um, so when I decided to do this movie for God and film, uh, I, I, was, I didn't say like, oh, this will be great for Mother's Day. I, but once I said after, after after Easter, we're going to start God in Film, because normally we do it in August. Then I had to think about, well, which movie is going to be on Mother's Day? And so I was like, well, I don't think it's going to be Alexander Hamilton talking about shame. It's certainly not going to be the Invisible Man talking about spiritual warfare. And so I thought, I think, I think I can make this, I think I can make this, I think I can make this work. Um, because death is something that, that it hangs over all of our lives. And it, and it affects all of our relationships. It affects especially those primary relationships, like our relationships with our parents, our relationship with our children. Um, and, and this movie, you know, just kind of shows people dealing and struggling and wrestling with that and how death causes a lot of anxiety and causes a lot of fear. And we as our, our culture, like we are really bad at talking about death. We just don't do it. We do everything that we can to push it off. You know, the reason why why plastic surgery is like a multi-billion dollar industry is because we have a fear of death. I mean, people are like, I may be 60, but I don't want to be reminded that I'm 60 and I'm like closer to the grave, so I'm going to have plastic surgery so I can look 30, and if it means that I can't smile and don't have full use of my face, well, that's a, that's a price I'm worth paying. You know, I think the reason that we throw ourselves into our careers and throw ourselves or try to accumulate wealth and all these things, a lot of it is that there's this fear that's hanging over us, even the way that we talk about death. I don't know if you've noticed, but in our culture, we can't even really bring ourselves to say the word. Like, we don't say the word. We come up with all sorts of other ways to say it. We don't say that someone has died. We say someone has passed away. We say someone is no longer with us. We say they've gone to a better place. We even have a hard time bringing ourselves to just say that someone has died. And one of the things that I know about Mother's Day, and I know this just because so many of you have talked to me through the years, is that Mother's Day can be a really painful day for many of you. It's painful. Some of you, uh, you lost your mom this year. This is the first Mother's Day that you're experiencing without your mother. Maybe there's some others, like you lost your mom, you know, a couple of years ago or maybe even years ago, but something about this day is really, really painful. We have people in our church who have lost children, which makes Mother's Day impossibly, impossibly difficult. And, uh, and so I know that it's something that for many of you makes Mother's Day really difficult, uh, really hard. But what I want you to know is that the Bible talks about death in a way that's very different from the way our culture talks about it or the way our culture tries to avoid it. The Bible doesn't talk about death as like the circle of life and we just have to embrace it and, you know, Simba, you know, it's all good, the circle of life, I'm not going to sing that song right now. But it talks about death 
as an enemy that hangs over us. Actually, 2 Corinthians 15, 25 to 26, it says, For he must reign, Jesus, until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And so, I, so what I want to talk about today, and I'll get into it in a moment, but what I want, where I want to go is I want us to understand how death has been defeated. I want us to understand and really think through the hope that we have, the hope and the assurance that we have, knowing that we have this inheritance that is safe, that is protected, that, is, that nothing can take away from us, and how that can transform our life and transform our relationships. And I just thought that, that the pain and the reality of this family dealing with loss, dealing with death, just kind of illustrated it in a, in a powerful way. So this next clip that I want to show you, it kind of it shows the pain. And so the first clip is where Billy shows up in China. Now, she wasn't supposed to go because they were like, you, you know, it's just going to be on your face and then your grandmother's going to know. But she has to be there, so she ends up showing up. And so the whole family is there and Nene's all excited that everyone's there and she thinks it's a celebration. But you can see there's this like cloud that's hanging over everyone. And then I, I cut into another scene where Billy's talking with her mother. And she's talking about the loss that she's experienced in life, the loss through immigration and leaving the you know, family behind, the loss of her grandfather, and now the loss, uh, the impending loss of, of her grandmother. And so, uh, so let's go ahead and let's watch this next clip. Hey,彼得,你咋不吃呢?我不饿。哎呀,哪能不饿呢?路上折腾了一天了。来,大口咬。哇,好吃吧。You know, one of the few good memories of my childhood were those summers at Nine Eyes. They had that garden. Yeah, yeah, and I would catch dragonflies. And then we just moved to the States. Everything was different. Everyone was gone. It was just the three of us. And it was hard. It was hard for us, too. I wanted to believe that it was a good thing. But all I saw was fear in your eyes. And I was confused and scared constantly because you never told me what was going on. And then Yeah Yeah died. You didn't even tell me he was sick. So it felt like he just vanished suddenly. And you wouldn't even let me go to his funeral. You were at school. We didn't want you to miss the school. We did what we thought was best for you. But I never saw him again. And every time I came back to China, he just, he just wasn't there anymore. And I come back, and he's just gone. The house is gone. Adia's gone. Our Beijing home is gone, and soon she'll be gone too.
Okay, so as she's dealing with, you know, the loss and dealing with all the, you know, loss that she's experienced in her life, I, I, I intentionally kept it where you see her kind of walking slow motion, you know, uh, through the streets, because it just, it made me think of, um, it made me think of, uh, of Psalm 23, verse 4 where it says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And the reality for all of us is that we walk through the valley. And some of you right now, you're walking through the valley, and Mother's Day is making that valley even more painful. But what it says is when we can lean on our shepherd, when we know our shepherd, we will fear no evil, for you are with me. And so what struck me in watching this movie and watching it multiple times is how hard it is to walk through the valley of the shadow of death when you don't know the shepherd, when you don't have the shepherd to lean on, when you don't know that death has been defeated and that you don't have to be afraid of death. And so what I want to do, I want to walk us through. So I just think it's so valuable and it's important for all of us to have an understanding of what the Bible says about heaven what the Bible says about eternal life, because I think a lot of what we've learned, a lot of what we've seen isn't right, isn't correct. A lot of the ways that we think about heaven don't line up with what the Bible says. And so I think it makes it so that we can't get the sense of, the sense of strength and the sense of comfort and the sense of hope that we should be able to get knowing that death has been defeated. So the first question I want to ask, I just got a couple questions here. The first one is, is there life after death? And so you may say, well, that is a very funny question for a Christian pastor to ask in church. Of course there's life after death. Now listen, the, one of the most growing uh, belief kind of segments in our society are secular materialists. And so there's a lot of people these days who believe that this life is all there is. That once your brain shuts down, then life is over. That that's it. When your brain stops, you stop. That there's not a soul, that there's not eternal life. More and more people are believing that. And, but it's not a surprise. I'm sure you're not surprised to hear me say that the Bible makes it really, really clear that this life is not it. That this life is not the end. That there is another life to come. I could have picked dozens and dozens, maybe hundreds of Bible verses to kind of show that that's what the Bible teaches. But I chose Revelation 22, uh, started at verse 3, because it's one of my favorite ones. It's talking about when John uh, got a vision of, of heaven in the book of Revelation. He says, No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in his city. His servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There'll be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light. They will reign forever and ever. And the angel goes on and says, these words are trustworthy and true. And so the Bible teaches that life does not end at, at, at death, that there is life after death. And, uh, you know, the, not only does the Bible teach it, Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus is incredible evidence that life continues and, and it's something that comforts me and I believe there's so much when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus, there's so much evidence that we can hang our, that we can hang on that can comfort us. But there has been some interesting research that has developed over the last few years that really support what the Bible says about eternal life, about life after death. It's called near-death experiences. There are a lot of medical journals that record people's near-death experiences. Let me share a couple, a couple that I think are interesting, a couple I think that kind of show that maybe the secular materialists are wrong and that life does not just end like when the brain stops. There was a woman named Maria, and she suffered a heart attack. She was visiting a friend in, in Seattle. She coded a bunch of times. You know, she, she died and came back and died and came back. And later, she described when her heart had stopped, she had one of those classic experiences where she was out of her body and she was able to describe what was happening in the room, like with great detail, who was in the room, things that were said. And this is all, this is kind of common. This happens a lot. What's interesting about Maria is she began to float away, uh, you know, out of the hospital. And so as she was going like towards the north side of the hospital on the third floor in this very specific place that she described, she saw on this ledge outside of a window, she saw and she described this blue sneaker that had a hole in the toe and had like something sticking to it because it was, you know, something was sticky and there was something that was sticking to it. And so when she, when she came back to consciousness, she told, you know, all the things that she saw and people were amazed. And so this doctor went up to that 
that window. And like a patient couldn't open the window, you had to like lean over the ledge to kind of see what was there. He had a key to open up the window. And sure enough, there was a blue sneaker that had a hole in the, that had a hole in the toe and something sticking to it, exactly as this woman had described. So there's another one that where, uh, where there was this, this nursing professor named Norma Bowie. Uh, she, she wrote about something she observed, someone who had a near-death experience. She didn't believe in them. She wasn't sure about life after death. But this experience convinced her. Someone was in a car accident, and they, they died in the car accident, brought to the, were brought to the hospital, were resuscitated, and uh, actually ended up being in a coma, you know, for, for months. When this person came out of a coma, you know, similar thing, kind of had this perspective of seeing the room kind of from the top of the room and was able to describe, you know, who was in there, things that were said, even, even said something about somebody knocking something over, like a piece of equipment that had actually happened. And so, so it was, you know, really amazing. But, but what kind of took this one to another level is there was this ventilator that was like, that stood about seven and a half feet off of the ground, right? So you couldn't see the top of the ventilator if you're just standing there. And it had a 12-digit number on the top of it. And so this woman who died had OCD. And the way her OCD would show up is that whenever there was a sequence of numbers, she'd have to memorize it. And so she recounted that 12-digit number that was on top of the ventilator. You know, and so, you know, and again, I mean, we've got the words of Jesus, we've got the resurrection of Jesus, but these things are kind of interesting. I got one more because there's, there's a lot of documentation from professionals who are with people who are dying. And, uh, and so a lot of people who are dying claim to have, be, you know, having conversations with people who have died before. And so tragically, there was this six-year-old boy who was dying of a brain tumor. And so he'd been, he'd been unconscious for a couple days. And so the family is there sitting vigil. Uh, his grandmother, his parents are there. And then all of a sudden, this little boy woke up. And he looks up into the corner, and this is, you know, this is in a medical journal. This is, this is something that was, you know, that was recorded, and there's lots of things like this. A lot of people think these are like hallucinations, but sometimes they're so specific that it's like it's got to be more than that. So he looks up in the corner, and he starts having this conversation. And they say, who are you talking to? And he says that he's talking to his grandfather, who he never met, who had died, you know, before he was, years before he was born. And he describes his grandfather, you know, down to like tattoos that he has and the look in his eyes and the sound of his voice, you know, describes him exactly as he was, even though he'd never met. There weren't even a lot of pictures of his grandfather that he could have seen. And so the grandmother is crying because she's descri- he's describing her late husband so perfectly. And then he starts cracking up. He starts laughing. And so they're like, they're like why, why are you laughing? What's so funny? And he said, Carolyn's here too. She's really funny. She wants you to know, she said, he says to his grandmother, he, she wants you to know that she loves you very much and she's having lots of fun here. And at that point, the family just lost it because Carolyn was the grandmother's firstborn who tragically died in 1951 when the little girl was seven years old and this little boy didn't even know that Carolyn existed. And so there's, there's, you know, that can go on. There's some really interesting things that just kind of show there is more than just this life. So is there an afterlife? The the testimony of the Bible, the testimony of Jesus, emphatically clear. Yes, there is. Another question is, what is heaven? What is heaven? You know, and again, I've just, I've talked with a lot of people through the years, and it seems like our thinking about this is a little muddied, and it doesn't give us the clarity, doesn't give us the strength that we need. The first thing I want to say about heaven is that it is a physical place. It is a physical place. And you say, well, that's not what I've been told. Well, actually, what the Bible says is that there's going to be this merging of the spiritual and the physical to create a new heaven and a new earth. And so the Bible talks about like heaven coming down and meeting with earth and this whole new reality being formed. It's like reality version 2.0, this like spiritual material reality, right? Even our bodies are that way. Right? Like so many people think like, oh, heaven, you know, I'm just going to be sitting on a cloud strumming a harp. I don't even play the harp. I don't like a harp. I don't know. I'm going to have weird little wings. What's that about? No, no, no. That is not at all what it's going to be like. How do you know the kind of body that you're going to have? It says this. It says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 42. It is the same way with the resurrection of the dead. 
Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They're buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. They're buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. And so Jesus was the first one who had this new spiritual body when he rose from the dead. And so Jesus was able to be recognized. Jesus ate. It says that after he rose from the dead, he ate fish. But Jesus also, because it was this spiritual body, this like version 2.0, Jesus also, if he didn't want, remember the disciples on the road to Emmaus? He hid his appearance from them. The disciples would be in a room. All of a sudden, Jesus would just show up. He, he ascends into heaven. So I'm pretty sure that when we have our resurrection body, why do we love like Superman? And, you know, why does everyone always say like, I'm a superpower, I'd love to fly. I think we're going to get to fly. I'm pretty sure that our, our resurrected bodies, version 2.0, we might be able to fly. But the point of it is that, our, that heaven is not nirvana. It is not a dream. It is not like floating around on a cloud. It is a real place. Jesus said this, like we will have physical bodies, spiritual bodies, but we will have physical bodies in a real physical place. Jesus said this in John 14, 2-3. He says, My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. So Jesus says, I'm preparing a physical place. I'm not preparing a state of mind. I'm not, you know, preparing some, some state of being, some like existential reality. It's a physical place that he's going to get ready. And when it's prepared, he's going to come back and he's going to get us and he's going to bring us to this physical place so that we can be in the Father's house for all of eternity. And so heaven is a real place and heaven is a place that will last forever. So much of the pain that we have walking through the valley of the shadow of death is the impermanence of life, which I thought, you know, Billy captured in that conversation she was having with her mother. The impermanence of life, how everything changes. So much of this world, there's change. It, 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 sometimes it doesn't feel stable. It feels like everything's always shifting. Heaven will not be like that. The kingdom of heaven, your heavenly home, will be a forever heavenly home. 2 Corinthians 5.1 says, For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. An eternal house. Ephesians 1.10, and this was his purpose, that when the time is ripe, he will gather us all together from wherever we are in heaven or on earth to be with him in Christ forever. So you see, again, I, I don't think we get the comfort from the security and the hope of heaven that we should. So much of what you've been taught about heaven is wrong is not what the Bible says. I guarantee anything that you've ever seen in a movie about heaven is not right, right? Why is it when, have you ever seen a movie depiction of heaven where it wasn't like, it's always all white, like everything is white, why would God who created all the colors in the universe, why would he have heaven be all white? Right? And there's this kind of like, there's usually a fog that's there and people are walking around in robes and you just kind of like, well, that seems like a weird place and I don't really, I don't know about that. But what 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, it says, no eye has ever seen, no ear has ever heard, no mind has ever imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. So what is the kingdom of heaven going to be like? So you go ahead and you think up the best experience that you've ever had in this life or that you could ever hope to have in this life. Whatever, you know, the most pleasurable, the most beautiful, the most exhilarating, the most incredibly enriching experience that you could have. And what God says is that your experience in the kingdom of heaven is going to be way better than that. No one has imagined how awesome how great, how beautiful, how pleasurable it's going to be living in the kingdom of heaven. And so, another question, what are we going to do in heaven? What are we going to do? Are we just going to sit on a cloud? Are we going to kind of float around? The Bible gives us, there's multiple things. Who knows what we're going to do? But there's three things for sure that I can say that we're going to do. The first is you will experience a deep connection with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You will have an intimate relationship with God. It's not going to be like you'll be in heaven with billions of people and God's going to be on the throne and you'll be all the way back in the cheap, you know, cheap seats, like holding up a sign saying, yay God, hi God, how are you? That's, that's not how it's going to be. And actually what it says in Revelation 21 is that there's no temple in the kingdom of heaven. 
The reason there's no temple is you won't need a special place to go meet with God because God's going to be everywhere. God is going to be totally accessible. You can talk with God. You can worship God. You can fellowship with God at any time. He's everywhere. See, it says in Revelation 21, there'll be no sun in the sky needed because the light and glory from God's face will illuminate everything. And because God is going to be seen and is going to be experienced, is going to be the center of everything, there'll be no more tears, no more death, no more sorrow, no more pain. All of that will be gone forever. The relationship that you're going to have with Jesus, as you see him face to face, is an intimate relationship. It says this in Revelation 3.17, where it talks about those who overcome. In the beginning of the book of Revelation, there's these messages that Jesus has to the church. And so he says, if you overcome, you're going to get the hidden manna, you're going to get this, you're going to get that. There's one that's kind of tucked in there that I don't hear people talking about all that much, but I I just find so fascinating and hopeful and incredible. Jesus said, I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to those who receive it. So what is this saying? This says that when you see Jesus, he's going to give you a stone. And remember, you know, God is infinite, so he can have conversations with like billions of people at the same time. He's going to give you a stone. And on that stone is going to be your true identity, who you really are. Like Jesus, who created you, who made you, who knows you, is going to say, this is who you really are. You wore masks when you were in life. You played different roles. But this is who I created you to be. And this is who I redeemed. And this is who you really are. And so that name, like your true identity, is going to be written on this stone that Jesus is going to give you. And then here's what I love about this. For all of eternity, that's going to be a secret between you and Jesus. Like only like you and Jesus are going to have this like little secret of like, hey, Jesus, you know who I really am. This is who I really am. That's the level of intimacy. The foundation of life in heaven is going to be this beautiful, wonderful, intimate relationship with the living God. Another thing that's, that we're going to experience, what we're going to do is that you will be reunited with those who love Jesus. We are going to be reunited with our loved ones who have gone on before us. People have asked me, and actually someone recently asked me, will I be able to recognize people in heaven? Absolutely, you will be able to recognize people in heaven. Remember, Jesus had that first resurrected body. The disciples recognized him, unless, you know, that one time he didn't want them to recognize him. But other than that, they're like, oh, here comes Jesus. Look, Jesus is eating fish. Uh, You're going to be able to recognize people in heaven. It says this in 1 Thessalonians 4.17, and I love the, the message paraphrase. It says, there will be one huge family reunion with the Master. And I got to tell you, you know what, the older I get and the more I experience, you know, people who have, who have died in this church, people in my family, friends who have died, the more I experience this, the, the more just precious the thought of heaven becomes. And what it says, what it says in the very next verse, after it talks about this, this incredible reunion with the master, family reunion with the master, is it says, reassure one another with these words. And so when someone close to you dies, right, when something that happens, like we all, I've, I've, I've experienced this and so many of you have told me about it, it like doesn't seem real. It almost feels like a dream or like a nightmare. And you wake up in the morning and you're like, all of a sudden it dawns on you like, oh, that person's not here. I've had people tell me they picked up phones like looking for a text. And all of a sudden they're like, oh, wait, this person's not here. It, it, it feels unnatural, I think, because it is unnatural. Because death is not the end, because death has been defeated, and we are to reassure one another that when your loved one dies, it's not the end. It is a transfer. You will see them again. And I just want to say to those of you, whether online or in this room, where Mother's Day is hard, where Mother's Day is difficult because your mother is no longer with you, or your child is no longer with you, or your spouse is no longer with you to celebrate the day with you. I want to t- I know I can't imagine how hard that is. But I want to tell you you will see them again. And as you grieve, you don't have to grieve without hope. There is hope because in your future is one huge family reunion in the presence of the master. The third thing that we will do in heaven is we will be assigned work that we enjoy doing. So many of the depictions of heaven in movies, the way we talk about it, it seems it's just like something we can't relate to. Something that's so boring. Something's like, what's that going to be like? Listen, God knows you perfectly. 
God designed you. He knows what makes you tick. He knows what you love to do. He knows what you don't like to do. Remember, he's going to give you that stone with your real name, your real identity on it. You will be given assignments in the kingdom of God. You will be given a job to do. And it's not going to be frustrating work. It's not going to be busy work. It's not going to be laborious work. It's not going to be boring work. It's going to be fulfilling work. It's going to be exciting work. It's going to be joyful work. Jesus said this in Matthew 25, 21, when he told the parable to try to give people a sense of what to expect. It says, his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. This is the parable of the, of, the, of, the, um, of the talents. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. You will be put in charge of things in the kingdom of heaven. When you're in the kingdom of heaven, God's going to put you in charge. He's going to give you assignments. And what he says all throughout is like, listen, the way that you live here really matters. Because if you're faithful with a little bit here, I'm going to give you more there. If you squander what I give you here, then that's going to affect what you end up getting there. If you're faithful with the talents I give you, you'll get more talents in heaven. If you're faithful with your possessions, with your influence, with your time, I'm going to give you more in the kingdom of heaven. We need to realize that a lot of this life is a test. That what we do matters. And uh, you know what? It doesn't, it's not a test about whether or not you're going to be saved, right? I say all the time, we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. So it's not about your salvation. That is a gift that we receive. But the test is, what are you going to do with that salvation? And the Bible talks about the judgment seat of Christ and different, you know, it talks about like we're going to give an account for the spiritual gifts that we have and how we use them. What we do here on earth matters. It says this in Philippians 2.12, Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This is not work out with fear and trembling whether or not I'm going to be saved, whether or not I'm worthy of salvation. You will never be worthy of salvation. That's why it's a gift that we receive. But what are we doing with this incredible gift that God has given us? See, we are facing tests every day. Every day there's tests. God says, will you be faithful when it's not easy? Will you obey me when it's not popular? Will you trust me when it appears like I haven't shown up for you? Will you be faithful with your money or will you just squander it? Will you be faithful with your body, with your health, with your mind? God says, if you're faithful with little here, I'll give you more there. It says a number of times, but one place in 2 Timothy 2.12, it says, if we endure hardship, in other words, if we go through this difficult life, relying on Jesus, holding on to him, we will reign with him. See, there's a couple of times that it says that we're going to not reign, like experience his reign, but actually reign with him. It says in Revelation that we will sit on the throne with him. Now, see, here's the deal. When we think about, like, heaven, we think about eternity, we think about God, who knows what God's going to do? I mean, he might make new universes. He might make, you know, all sorts of stuff. I think that what God is after, what God is after is not only us to have relationship with him, but in his, like, ruling and reigning over the universe and all reality, he wants it to be a family business. And so he wants his redeemed sons and daughters to take, you know, their place in like God incorporated, that we would rule and reign with him. Now, this is a whole other, this is like my own little theory, and I won't even do it. I have a theory, though, that maybe what led to Lucifer's rebellion, remember we talked about that last week? I wonder if it might have something to do with him finding out God's intention for humanity. It was just kind of jealous. It was kind of upset about that. But we will rule and reign. Who knows? Like God may make a new planet and may say, hey, go like deal with that planet. You go kind of go oversee that planet. But one thing that I can say for sure is that we will not be born. And then the last thing that I want to say, I'm going to show you one more clip here in a moment. But you know how I always say uh, Jesus makes life better and makes you better at life? So here's the thing. I, I believe, especially when it comes to relationships, that thinking deeply about heaven will make life better. Like realizing that we, as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't have to be afraid because our shepherd is with us. I think that's going to manifest and show up in our lives in all sorts of ways. Thinking deeply and correctly about heaven will make life better and will make us better at life. Now, remember I said, especially when it comes to our, some primary relationships, remember I, I said that Billy's relationship with her nene was just a beautiful relationship, but her relationship with her mother was kind of, was pretty difficult. They didn't really understand each other. So I have one more clip that I want to show you. This is, this is where Billy is saying goodbye to her grandmother, 
thinking that it's the last time that she's ever going to see her. And you just kind of see how loving and how supportive and just how, uh, what a source of strength and comfort uh, Billy's Nene is for her. So let's watch this last scene. Biao 你还会回来的，奶奶知道，你总是惦记我。可我现在吃了新买的药，好了，你还是要工作的。你前面的路长着呢，奶奶可是为你骄傲啊。我没拿到奖金，真的，你才知道。我没告诉你，因为我不想让你担心。我不担心你会没事的，孩子。奶奶呀，是过来的人，我得告诉你啊，生活中啊，总会遇到很多困难，但你一定要想得开，千万不能钻牛角尖儿。因为生活呀，不光是你去做什么，更是你如何去做。一个人的精神支柱非常重要，你会成功的。你真的好了吗？真的呀，奶奶给你撒谎干什么？傻孩子，你别哭，奶奶。别这样，别这样啊，傻孩子，傻孩子，奶奶没哭啊，也不许哭，我没哭，嗯嗯嗯嗯，我还会来的，看你，奶奶知道，咱们很快就会见面的啊，嗯嗯嗯，快走吧，
You know, where it's just difficult, where you don't understand each other, where you don't bless each other, that you just cause, like, what is it that causes that? Because nobody wants to have a relationship with a child or a parent or anyone significant in our life like that. What is it that causes that? And I think what, what it is that makes us put walls up is, is our fear. It's our fear. It's our, it's our insecurities. It's our, our feeling that we need to protect ourselves. It's the fear of rejection. It's that thing that we do where we compare ourselves to other people. And when we compare ourselves, we always usually end up, you know, being on the short end of the comparison. That thing we talked about a couple of weeks ago, that feeling of shame that we're not really lovable, that we can't really receive love, that we can't give love. It's our neediness that puts walls up, that makes relationships really difficult. And, and listen, the Bible says as much as it depends on you, be at peace with everyone. It, it doesn't all depend on us. But if we're honest and we're self-aware, like our neediness does get in the way of those really important relationships. And I think that thinking deeply about heaven, being really dialed into the hope that we have, can deal with a lot of the neediness, deal with a lot of the, the fears and the insecurities that we have. Because listen, what can you feel insecure about? Like if you're aware and it's real to you that your eternal destiny is to rule and reign with God, that you're going to like rule and reign with him. Like what in this life is going to make you feel insecure? If it's like real to you that that's your destiny, what are you afraid of, right? When you realize that, that God is creating this house for you, the Father's house, and you're going to dwell with the Lord forever, what is it that you can be afraid of? If God is for you, who can be against you, right? What do you need to protect yourself from? If Jesus himself is going to wipe every tear from your eye, what, you don't need to put up these walls. You don't need to kind of hold people at arm's length. You don't need to respond out of fear. What about this thing where we compare ourselves to others? C.S. Lewis talks about this. You know, when we have our version 2.0 resurrected bodies, do you know, like if, we could, if you could see the person who's like sitting next to you, if you could see them in a thousand, like a thousand years from now, what they're going to look like, you would be sorely tempted to worship them. You know, as we're going to be reflecting and radiating God's glory. And so, and so what, you know, why, why should we compare ourselves to anyone when this is our destiny? The feeling of shame that says you're not really lovable. You can't really receive love. You can't really give love. Listen, one day you are going to see Jesus face to face. And Jesus is going to deal once and for all with that shame that's been in your life, that feeling of not being lovable, of not being worthy of love. He's going to show you his scars. He's going to show you the scars because those scars remain in his resurrected body. He's going to show you the scars in his hands, the scars in his feet. And he's going to say, this is how much I love you. This is how valuable you are. And I just believe that, you know what? The Bible talks about God restoring the hearts of, of the, the fathers to the sons, the mothers to the daughters. I think if we need some restoration in some of those primary relationships, if we want to say, I want to show up like Nene in the lives of people in my life. I want to be loving. I want to be supportive. I want to be kind. I want to be like, a, a, like someone who can really be there for them. The more we realize our eternal destiny, the more we realize that we're safe and secure, the more we realize, as it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 4, I don't have this in your notes. I'll just read it. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. I want to assure you, church, I want to comfort you. You have an inheritance that will never fade, and that inheritance is kept in heaven for, for you, and nothing will will separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what do we have to be afraid of? Let's let the walls down. Let's love our God. Let's love one another. Let's live from this place of realizing that we are safe and secure in the kingdom of God. Let's stand and let's pray. Lord, I just pray, God, for all of the moms who are here. Just pray again, especially those who are, who are mourning, who are grieving, who are, who are remembering their moms. I just thank you, God, that we can know 
that we will have that incredible family reunion in the presence of the Master God. I pray that right now anyone who's in this room or online who's experiencing pain from loss, from, having, from walking through the shadow of the valley of death, God, I pray that you would comfort them. I pray that you would put hope in them. I pray that the reality of heaven would just become so real that they would know that they will see their loved one again. And God, I just pray that, that you would take the, the fears that we have in our life, the fears that make us shrink back, the fears that make it hard for us to love, the shame that makes it hard for us to love. God, I pray that your perfect love would drive out that fear. God, I pray that this Mother's Day, that we would be people that we know that we have this inheritance. We know that you love us. We know that you're for us. We know that this inheritance is kept in heaven and nothing will not, it will not, it will not spoil, it will not rust, it will not fade. And so God, I pray that we would live as people who are confident. We're confident in you. We're confident in our future. I pray that we would love as people who are confident, confident in you, confident in our future. God, I pray for transformation to just work in all of our lives as we think about this incredible destiny, this incredible future that you have for us. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here in this room, online, who have not yet accepted your free gift of salvation, Lord, I pray that you would just speak to them right now and let them know that you are at the door of their heart. You are knocking on that door. You're saying, open the door and let me in because I have abundant life for you. I have an inheritance for you. And so if you're ready to, all you got to do to accept God's free gift of salvation, you just accept it. That's all. You just accept it. So if you're ready to accept it, I want you to pray this prayer. Just close your eyes. You don't even have to say it out loud. Say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I recognize that you died on the cross for me, that you died in my place. I ask you to forgive all of my sins, and I accept this free gift of salvation. Write my name in your book of life so that I know that I'm now a part of your forever family, and I will be with you in the Father's house forever and ever. And God, I pray that you teach me how to follow you, teach me how to walk with you. And from now on, Lord, you're, you're the one who's going to call the shots in my life because I'm going to follow you. Just keep your eyes closed. But if you prayed that prayer, just raise your hand. If you prayed that prayer to accept God's free gift of salvation, awesome. Awesome. The Bible says that when you do that, first of all, angels rejoice. And secondly, it says your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And so your name was just written in that book. I'm going to ask you to do one other thing, though. If you could text follow to 201-584-7188. Someone from the church will reach out to you this week and just say, hey, how can I pray for you? Such a big decision. It's a wonderful decision. We want to celebrate with you. We want to pray for you. We want to, we want to encourage you. And uh, we'd just love to have the opportunity to do that. All right, we're going we're gonna to close the service opportunity for prayer. Uh, we have people from the prayer ministry team who are going to be over here to my right. If you want prayer for anything, uh, if, if, if Mother's Day is hard for you, let us pray for you. If, uh, if you're experiencing maybe some difficult relationships right now, we want to pray that God will heal those relationships. Whatever your need is, we would love to have the opportunity to pray for you. Just keep your mask on and we can go over there and there'll be somebody to pray for you. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful Mother's Day. Uh, Yay, moms. We celebrate you. We love you. And uh, we'll see you next week.